Amen. Open up your copy of the scriptures to Proverbs chapter 28. It is good to be with you this morning, Crossway family. Uh, if you don't know my face, I am relatively new to this team, so let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here, and what, it is my joy to, to spend the majority of my time working with middle school and high school students here in our church family, and I love that I get to do that, but every once in a while, I get to do some of this. We get to open up God's Word on a Sunday morning and see what God's Word has to say to Uh, So let's look at Proverbs 28. We're going to be in verses 13 and 14. But before we read them, I want to remind us of some foundational things we need to keep in mind as we continue our journey in the Proverbs. In this series, we've called Words to Live By. We need to remember a couple things. Number one, we need to remember there is goodness for us in God's word here. We are going to God's word because it has good things to say to us. It is going to put forward in front of us a good way of life, a good way to live. And we need to pay attention to that. And and why I say it that way is, is I want to remind us this is not, and if you do this, here's how you get salvation. If you do these things, here's how you get salvation. To be with God. This is not what the book of Proverbs is telling us. It is not a kind of works-based righteousness. This is wisdom literature. God is putting before us what the good life looks like, a way of being in the world. Pastor Brett, last week, he called it uh, living with the grain of the universe. This idea that God designed the world in a certain way, which means he gets to tell us what the good life looks like. So we get to live in the grain of the universe. So as we look at God's word this morning, let's remember he is the maker. He is the designer and he gets to tell us what the good life looks like. And it is wisdom from us to pay attention that. So let's read. I'll read. You follow along. Verses 13 and 14 of Proverbs chapter 28. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Let's pray together. God, we come to your word humbly, ready to hear what you have to say to us, ready to show us a way of being in the world that is right, that is good, that fits your design. God, we want to honor you. We want to be ready to to change any way in our life that does not line up with your way of being in the world that you've given us. Help us to be sensitive to you and to your word this morning. Would we honor you? Would we give you glory? Would we remember that you are worthy? And would we be thankful this morning, Jesus, particularly Jesus, for what you did on the cross in your life, death, and resurrection, making a way for us to be made right with God. So Jesus, we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's begin together uh, with another story, another parable uh, in line with the ones we've been telling every week as we gather. 
a story, a parable for everyone, young and old. Once upon a time, a long time ago, there was a man named Joseph. Now, you may remember him. We met him a few weeks ago. Joseph was this father that was helping his son navigate some challenges with some unwise friends who were saying some things that were disrespectful. Joseph was not only an excellent blacksmith, but he was also uh, a great father and a great husband, respected in the village. On this particular day, Joseph was going to bring his son Jonathan into the forge with him. He had decided that he wanted to give him time in the forge because it was his hope that one day Jonathan would inherit this family business, that he would take over from his father and be the blacksmith that serves this community. And to do that, you have to know how to do the work. So on this particular day, uh, Jonathan had joined his father in the forge and they were making some chisels um, for his uncle, uh, who was the carpenter in the town. Now, unfortunately today, Jonathan's mind seemed to be in a different place. He was distracted and, and easily, uh, easily looking to do or think about other things. First, he let the fire get too hot. So they had to wait for some time to let it cool so it was just the right temperature. As they continued to work, he he needed to uh, run and get his father's tools and he completely forgot to fill up the little basin of water that his father needed to cool the metal as he worked the metal over and over again. Jonathan's mind was somewhere else. So Joseph spoke up to his son, Jonathan, you need to focus and be attentive. Please go get the water and please put your apron on. Yes, dad, Jonathan replied, and and he ran off to do what his father told him to do. And and when he came back, he, he got the water just in time. His father was pulling the metal out just in time to cool it. He was just in time. But one of the things his father noticed as they continued to work was his son had failed to get his apron on. This was a safety piece. This was something that was needed. And so Jonathan, or sorry, Joseph raised his voice just a little. Said, Jonathan, go put your apron on. Jonathan, who wanted to be compliant, wanted to obey his father, said, yes, dad. And he he took off running in the forge. But in his haste to obey, he knocked over the, 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 the bucket of water that had collected and tripped and fell towards the fire. But just in time, his father grabbed him, held him back from the fire. But at this point in time, Joseph was done. He was done. Jonathan, go find your mother and find something else to do for the rest of the day. You're not paying attention to my instructions. You're foolishly running around the forge and you're gonna hurt yourself. Just go. As Jonathan turned to run out of the forge, Joseph saw tears forming in his son's eyes. But he let him go, hoping that this time he would learn his lesson, hoping that this time he would he would learn. And next time he would remember to do what is told when he's told at the right time. 
But it didn't take long for Joseph to consider what he had just done. It didn't take long for him to remember some things his father used to tell him. It didn't let, take long for him to realize that he had sinned against his son. So he went inside, he found his son, Jonathan, and said, let's go for a walk. And as they walked here, is what Joseph said. Jonathan, I am sorry for the way that I just treated you. I was impatient. I was unkind. I did not speak words that build you up. I sinned against God and against you. And as I was cleaning up, I remembered something my father used to tell me on more than one occasion. He used to tell me, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I was tempted to not say anything to you out of my frustration, but I remembered those words. So Jonathan, will you please forgive me for being angry and being harsh with you? And Jonathan joyfully responded, yes, I forgive you, dad. He said, thank you so much. Let's head back to my forge, son. Let's finish the work we need to do together. And that is the end of our parable. In our text for today, what you are going to see and what I hope to show you is two very distinct postures towards our sin. Two very distinct postures that lead to radically different outcomes. Radically different outcomes. Two different postures towards sin that lead to two radically different outcomes. The first posture I want you to see, we'll look at God's word together, is this. Concealing your sin leads to bondage and to brokenness. Concealing your sin leads to bondage and to brokenness. We don't have to look very far in our text for today to, to see this come about. Look at verse 13, the very beginning. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Now, in order for us to feel the weight, we kind of have to define some terms here, right? We have to understand what does it mean to not prosper and what does it mean to conceal. Well, let's look at the latter first. To prosper. What does it mean to prosper? I think normally in our, in our time, when we hear the word prosper, we think it's directly linked to financial things. We think of prosperity. We might think now of bank accounts, of investments, of, of a nice house or a nice car. We might directly link prosperity with financial things. And I, what I want to make sure we understand is that's not entirely what this proverb is about. This proverb is putting before us this word prosper as, as another word for succeed or achieve the right goal or, or really kind of you could just say do well. This person will not do well. Someone who conceals their sin will not get to experience the good life. They will not go well. But what, what does this mean to say the one who conceals? What does it mean to conceal our sin? And there's two sides of this. You can look at them as two sides of a coin that I want us to consider today. The first way that we are tempted to conceal our sin is through hiding. 
or covering. That would be a pretty literal translation of this word, to cover one's sin. Actively, deliberately, on purpose. Hiding what I've done, hiding it from God, and hiding it from those around me. You may think of a couple of examples. Maybe you think of adultery or unfaithfulness in marriage. You know, somebody who is being unfaithful to their spouse and has maybe a separate phone, a separate email. And every time that they get away from, for work, they're looking forward to this opportunity to be unfaithful. But are spending all of their time covering, hiding, making sure their family does not realize it. Maybe you think of stealing somebody who is, who is taking what is not rightfully theirs and is building their life around making sure other people don't find out about it. Or maybe you think of, uh, maybe you're a high school or middle school student or a, or a kid in here and you know your parents have given clear instructions and you don't want to do that. So we break the rules and we spend our time trying to hide and make sure my parents don't find out what I did what I said, where I was. This is the kind of active, purposeful covering of sin that does not lead to the good life. It does not lead to prosperity. It does not lead to good things. But there's another side to this coin that I think may be more prevalent in uh, the church, not just this church. I'm thinking in the life of Christians. And it's this attitude towards sin of denial an unwillingness to admit when we have sin in our life. Now, normally, I think as Christians, we're willing to say, yes, we're all sinners, right? We can usually say amen to that. Yes, I know I'm a sinner, but it's it's the denying the existence of particular sins in my life that I think we need to be concerned about here. It's the person who gets angry regularly, but will not admit it. It's, it's, it's the person who gets angry regularly, and when somebody brings it up to them, they go, no, if this person would just stop, I wouldn't be angry. If this situation would just fix itself, I wouldn't be angry. I'm not angry. They're the problem an unwillingness to admit your sin. Or maybe it's the person who speaks harshly, regularly in the name of truth. These people need to understand this. They must get this. If they just understood, then we'd be fine. Rather than confessing and admitting a lack of love or maybe a lack of gentleness or maybe a lack of self-control. This is a life where pride has settled in and is ruling and reigning. This is a person who's unwilling to admit that they have sinned. They won't confess it to God and they surely won't take it to others and seek repentance. This is the kind of life that leads to ruin. It leads to brokenness, leads to failure. This is the kind of person that is bound and stuck in their sin. In verse 14, we see what is an escalation or maybe a, a continuation of this posture. I think these Proverbs are linked intentionally. But what we see in verse 14 is whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I think this person who hardens his heart is one who continues to fail to admit that they're in the wrong. Time and time again, they say, it's not me. It's them. 
It's not me. It's them. It's not me. It's this situation. This is an escalation, a continuation. So for those who conceal their sin, they end up hardening their hearts towards God, towards their sin. And what does it say? They get calamity, ruin, destruction. That is not the good life. It's fair to say that if someone continues practicing concealing sin, it then becomes a pattern. And when it's a pattern, unconfessed, that's when you get this hardness of heart. When you continue in a direction, not changing direction, no longer acknowledging your sin towards God, not admitting it to one another, that's when hardness of heart sets in. When pride is ruling and reigning in our lives. One commentary put it like this, and it is simple and succinct, and I want to give this to you, and I'll say it twice because it's so good. Sin hidden is sin kept. Think about that. Sin hidden is sin kept. I've never met somebody who doesn't want freedom. So when it comes to our sin, there's no path to freedom that does not first lead through confession. If we want freedom, it leads to confession. But if we conceal, if we hide, if we deny, that's the pathway to destruction to calamity. It is not the pathway to the good life. All we have to do is read a little bit of our Bibles and we can get the feeling, the flavor of this. If you think about it with me, uh, think about Adam and Eve in in the very beginning in Genesis. They're told, do not eat from this particular tree, but it looks too good. They're tempted and they eat. They hide themselves, right? They were ashamed and they hid themselves. And then when God finds them and confronts them, they're incredibly quick to confess their sin, right? No, you should be, oh, no, (laughs) no. What do they do? They blame each other. Adam's like, it's my wife. Eve's like, it's the serpent. There's no recognition and a dealing with of their sin. And what enters the world? Brokenness, death, calamity as our scripture would say. But then you've got Cain who who murders his brother. He murders his brother. And when he's confronted by God, Cain, in line with Adam and Eve, comes with repentance and asking God for forgiveness, right? No. He says, am I my brother's keeper? He's hiding, concealing, unwilling to admit that he just slayed his own brother. Then you've got David, David, this, this king that God raised up. He lusts after a woman, impregnates her, then realizes, oops, but, but here's what he does. Instead of confessing to God and taking it to, to, to God, here's what he does. He says, okay, I'm going to bring home her husband. I'm going to get him drunk and hopefully they'll do their thing. And nobody will know. Tries to cover it. But that doesn't work. It doesn't work. So what does he do? He puts them on the front lines of battle. Pulls back the army. And murders him. He didn't strike the blow. But he struck the blow, right? He did. 
In seeking to hide his sin, he continued in sin. And then we've got Ananias and Sapphira in, in, the, in the book of Acts. Uh, they're selling their property and giving money to the local church. And they decide they want to look more generous than they are. They held back some of the money. It wasn't really wrong, but then they lied about it. They lied about how much they were giving. They tried to hide their, whatever you want to call it, whether it was greed or whether it was, whatever you want to call it, they hid it. And what happened? Death and brokenness. That's calamity. That's when someone says the good life is not worth it. I will hide my sin. I will conceal my sin because they, I think that this is better. If our posture towards sin is one of concealing, hiding, unwillingness to admit when I'm wrong, it only leads to bondage and brokenness, to this kind of slavery to our sin. But listen, there's another way of life. There's another posture of, uh, uh, towards sin that we can embrace, that, that, that is the good life. It's a way of being in the world that is right, that it's in line with God's plan and design. And this is that second posture. Confessing your sin leads to freedom and mercy. Confessing your sin leads to freedom and mercy. Let's read the middle portion of this text. It's really the, the last part of 13 and the first part of 14. This is what it sounds like. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. That's a different way of being in the world. That's where the good life is found. Let's take a look at that. His posture, this person's posture towards sin is one of confession and forsaking. God's word says it leads to mercy. His posture towards God is one who fears the Lord, who loves and worships and depends and trusts the Lord. And that leads to the blessed life. There is a goodness here, Crossway, that we need to get a hold of. There's a goodness in this kind of way of being, this way of confessing and forsaking sin that is good, so good. Confession or confessing and forsaking are really two parts of this word we would call repentance. Two, there are two parts of this word that we would call repentance. To confess, uh, well, confession or confess is a word we see all over the Bible. If you read through the Psalms in particular, you'll run into this all the time. Confess that the Lord is good. Confess that he is righteous. Confess that he is incredible. Uh, that's Ryan's paraphrase. Confess that he is amazing. You'll see that all over God's word. But sometimes when we read confess here, I think we boil it down too simply to just simply admit something. Just admit that I'm wrong. But I, I think we need to carry the full weight of this word confess here. We need to not get rid of the, the worship side and just use the admit side. We need to keep them together. Let me explain it like this. When we confess our sin, we are coming to God, worshiping him for who he is, considering who we are, and asking him to forgive us because we need his help. Confesses this double-sided action of God, you're incredible, and I am not, and I need you. God, you're amazing. I'm not. God, you're perfect. I'm not, and I need you. 
One person put it like this, to confess is to give God public praise and glory by acknowledging one's need of his forgiveness and deliverance from sin. Then we see this word forsake. It's part of that repentance definition. To forsake means to run away from, to turn away from something and towards something better. It's not just simply admitting where I'm wrong. It's saying this is where I've been going, but I need to be going this way towards Jesus, towards righteousness, towards the good life. This kind of posture towards sin leads to mercy to freedom. This is the kind of person that fears the Lord. We see that in verse 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. This word blessing is not just a simple term of kind of an announcement of a gift or an announcement of a blessed thing. This is telling us that this is a kind of way of being that leads to joy, leads to happiness. This is experiencing the good life. And he's saying the only way to do that is to fear the Lord and deal with sin rightly. The only way to experience the good life is to recognize my need for a savior regularly and take my sin to Jesus and deal with others when I hurt them. That's the good life. It's what he's putting before us today, church family. He's saying if we will be the kind of people that see our sin rightly and see God rightly, we can experience the good life together in community. So concealing your sin leads to bondage and brokenness and confessing your sin leads to freedom and mercy. Christians, we need to realize the goodness in this text, the goodness in confession, the goodness in repentance, the goodness of the news of the gospel. You and I were once dead in our sins, broken, no hope, through faith and repentance, we, we were made alive through Jesus Christ. So if anybody should be good at seeing our sin rightly, it should be us. We should be leading the way in this. In fact, I would say it like this. We need to have a master's degree in repentance. We need to be so good at repenting that in some ways it comes naturally to us. Oh, I, I totally just blew it there. Um, I need to deal with that. Like, it happens quickly. It happens regularly. And, it, and let me just be clear. This is not a navel-gazing wallow in, in kind of the mud, like a pig kind of dealing with our sin. Because there's one ditch. We can just only see our sin and only see how awful it is and just wallow in it. No, this is the kind of recognizing our sin that makes us do this. We look at ourselves and then we look up. To God, you're incredible and I'm not. You're perfect and holy and just and righteous, and I'm not, and I need you. We need to be good at doing that. <laughs> good at looking up. Good at taking our sin to, to Jesus for help. Taking our sin to others for reconciliation. We should be quick to repent. This is the good life, friends. Somebody who knows where they stand. If you're a believer in here, this is the life God calls you to to live in, to embrace, to be quick to confess our sin, quick to seek uh, reconciliation with others. Again, it's so we put Jesus on display everywhere. It's so that we're making a big billboard that says Jesus is incredible. Look at what he's done. 
And it's so that we can trust that God says these kinds of people receive mercy. These kinds of people get the blessed life. The people who deal with their sin rightly. The posture that is the good life, uh, the, the right posture towards sin is seeing it rightly, confessing it, admitting it, forsaking it. That is the good life. Now, I think you guys are all familiar with this man named Martin Luther. He uh, was one of the the key players in the Protestant Reformation. And uh, he wrote this this document that that we've called the 95 Theses, in which he was was seeking reformation. He wanted the the people of the church to, to come back to God's word and see it rightly. We think about all of these things like like buying indulgences and all of these other things that he was about. But I, I want you to see something this morning. The very first of his 95, his long list of things he wanted to defend and take care of. The first one reads just like this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent... He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Hundreds of years ago, this guy got it. He understood that our posture towards sin and towards God was going to be regular repentance. And there's goodness in that. Tell me, have you ever experienced that sweetness when when you've recognized how wrong you were in, in this particular area and you get to take to God, take it to God and remember the gospel and remember the grace and remember the goodness of what Jesus has done for you? And then you get to go to your brother or your sister or your kid or your parents and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. There's something sweet there when we do that. It is the good life, I promise you. The good life is living rightly with people and living rightly with the God of the universe. Friends, it is this posture towards God and towards sin that brings freedom. It brings mercy. Hiding, covering, pretending, denying brings failure, brings calamity, brings destruction. It will wreck your life. And the life of those around you, concealing and hiding sin, is the epitome of pride. One one commentator put it like this. He said, people may smash their consciences to avoid humbling themselves, but they cannot avoid the reality that God knows and will punish sin. How much better to give him glory by acknowledging this and to experience his mercy. That's the good life. That's the good life. We need to be quick to humble ourselves, confess our sin, and reconcile with others. So let me say it one more time. Concealing your sin leads to bondage and brokenness. But confessing your sin leads to freedom and to mercy. These are words to live by. Freedom in repentance. Let's pray together. God, we ask, actually we beg that you would do great things in our hearts and our lives. Would you show us our sin? Show it to us clearly. Show it to us rightly. And then cause us in humility to confess and forsake, to glorify you, to admit our failure and to run away from sin and towards your son, Jesus. 
Help us, Lord. We want to be excellent at repenting. We want to be great at seeing our sin and taking it to you so that we might, God, be a, be a picture of your goodness, of your gospel to the world. We need you and we need your help. Would you change us and make us new as we continue to consider your word? Lord, as we sing right now, help us to sing as hearts that have been changed by the goodness of the gospel, that we would sing loud, that we would sing excited because you have changed our eternity. And that's what we're thankful. It's in your pray. Amen.